jury investigation in 1949 and recently released by the Los Angeles District Attorney. While it is highly probable that some items of contemporary evidence were suppressed by certain members of the police department at the time, it should be emphasized that police practices in general and the conduct of the LAPD as described in this book are limited to the period of the historical events discussed. There is no evidence whatsoever that today's LAPD was involved in any cover-up, or indeed has any idea whether these items of evidence actually exist, or if they exist, where they are. In the end, this is a story about truth, the search for truth and its suppression. The 16th century English philosopher Francis Bacon has said that truth is the child of time. If this is the case, then I offer this book as the offspring of the years, which, like Moses in the cradle, has finally come to rest in the bulrushes of the Nile, or, in this case, the Mississippi. Part 1. Fallen Angel. Chapter 1. Farewell, My Lovely. Sunrise was at 6.58 a.m. in Los Angeles on the morning of Wednesday, January 15, 1947, the month had been an unusually bleak one for Southern California. Dense fog had descended on the coastal towns of Long Beach and Redondo. The sea fog was accompanied by a razor-edged wind that whipped up the Pacific rollers and sent raw blasts through the boulevards of a city more accustomed to the hot, dry, dusty winter gusts of the Santa Ana winds. The previous night had been a rare one in Los Angeles because there had been a hard frost on the ground. Black smoke trailed across the sky from the smudge pots lit to protect the orange groves that in those days still carpeted the slopes of the San Fernando Valley. A slice of waning moon hung over the orange trees, their pale blossoms and fragile perfume already in the process of being obliterated by rows of white concrete grid housing. Farther south from San Fernando and Hollywood and downtown Los Angeles, Trolley cars shuttled their late-night cargoes of drunk streetwalkers and transients around the city, seemingly oblivious to their impending annihilation, even as they rattled along in the shadow of the construction work on the latest phase of the Hollywood Freeway. In just a few years, the freeway would become the major road linking northern suburbia with Tinseltown. The old central tramway would be demolished as part of a lofty plan to transform the City of Angels into in actor Bob Hope's words, the biggest parking lot in the world. Like much of Los Angeles, Lemert Park in the south of the city was the planned master community of an ambitious property developer. When Walter H. Lemert began his dream project in 1927, he envisaged a model community of homes in the newly fashionable Spanish colonial revival style, which would give white middle-income families their piece of the American dream. Sandwiched between Jefferson Park to the north, Hyde Park to the south, and Baldwin Hills to the west, the residential district boasted its own town square, movie theater, and shopping malls. Even more impressive, it was designed by the firm Olmsted & Olmsted, sons of Frederick Law Olmsted, the man who landscaped New York Central Park. In the 1940s, Lemert Park was the perfect place for young white married couples to start a family. So it was for John and Betty Bersinger, 
who in 1945 had purchased a bungalow with a neat garden and wrought iron grills in the 3700 block of Norton Avenue, one of a series of narrow ribbon roads to the north of Lamert. As elsewhere, the war had stopped housing development on their block, and the lots one block south were covered with weeds, stiff horseweed, yellow mustard, and stinging nettles in the spring and summer, clumps of wiry grass, ranging Mexican oleander and hard black earth in the winter. Nothing stood on the vacant scrub other than a row of electricity pylons, a line of black masts linked with skimming wires that leaped and ducked to the horizon. Despite the unfinished housing developments, sidewalks had been put in along the vacant lots, and this part of the park was a popular recreation area for mothers and children. It was also where Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey sometimes had their circus. So it was that at 10 a.m. on the clear cold morning of Wednesday, January 15, 1947, Betty Bursinger packed her three-year-old.